You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're in the book of Colossians all the way through the fall uh, into Thanksgiving, through Adv- into Advent. We are in the book of Colossians, just looking at some of the pivotal passages of Colossians. And we're talking about kind of focusing on how we think. Our spiritual growth, our transformation into Christ's likeness, I think begins in our minds, how we think, the patterns of thinking that we engage And so that's what we're focusing on. We began in our first message of the series two weeks ago, talking about your picture of God. And we bounced off of this verse in Colossians 1, verse 15. I want us to look at it again because we're going to anchor ourselves to this verse again. And I'm going to bring in a couple other passages later on. But Paul, who's quoting kind of an early Christian hymn or creed of some sort, He says the sun is the image of the invisible God. And that's just a deeply profound statement. We talked two weeks ago, what is your picture of God? When you envision God in your mind, what is he like? How do you envision him? How do you imagine God to be? And I began last week, or last, in my last sermon, talking about Adam and Eve. You know, if we go back to the story at the beginning in the, in the book of Genesis, we have Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden, this pristine environment, and God speaks to them and says, you can eat from any tree, but there's this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I want you to not eat from that tree. In fact, it's for your own good, because if you eat from the tree of the knowledge, and good of e- of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So he gives them that instruction. And then along comes the serpent, and the serpent approaches Eve and says, did God really say if you eat from that tree, you're going to die? He's lying to you. It's the exact opposite. You're going to become like God. You're going to become wise. You're going to take on God's attributes. And God knows that. He's threatened by you. He's insecure. He doesn't want you to reach your potential. He's trying to hold you down. And so the serpent gives Eve a picture of God. But it's a picture of God that is false, And he paints this portrait of God as if God is this petty, insecure, untrustworthy being who's trying to manipulate you. And so Eve believes and receives this false, ugly picture of God, which is what what leads Eve and Adam to then sin and rebel against God. But the sin originates by believing a false picture of God. And I believe so much of the brokenness of the human race and the world itself is anchored in human beings believing false pictures of God. There's probably a million of them out there. But so many of us have acquired from various means a false picture of God. One of the common ways, just to give you an example, one common way this happens is, is sometimes when a person goes through an intense tragedy, some horrific event in their lives, and they're trying to make sense of things, and they take their tragic experience, and they're trying to make sense of God. How could this happen? And so they look at God through the lens of their tragedy, through the lens of their experience, and they end up with a distorted picture of God. And it has ramifications for how they live. And see, what Paul is trying to show us when he's quoting this hymn and he says, the sun is the image 
of the invisible God. He's saying if you want to know what God is like, don't look at your experience. Don't look at the world around you, that what the culture says. You look at Christ because Christ gives you a definitive, perfect image of God. When you look at Christ on the cross, you are looking at the exact character of God. Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, he's the exact representation of God's very essence. Jesus says throughout the Gospel of John, if you see me, you see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. So that's where we start. There's a whole lot of things in our lives that are chaotic, that are tragic, that are ugly. And if you try to look at God through the lens of that experience, you're going to suffer for it. Your faith's going to suffer for it. And here's one thing you can always cling to and always be confident in. It's a solid rock. Is I know what my God is like because he has definitively revealed that on the cross. This is what God is like. I can't always make sense of all of this junk. But what I can trust is I know what God's character is like. And some of this other junk I may never figure out. But I can stand on the solid rock of Christ. So that's what we talked about in the first sermon of this series. Today we're going to talk about the flip side. Because as Paul says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. One of the themes throughout the Bible is that humankind, you and I, have been made in the image of God. There is a sense in which you and I bear God's image. So if Christ, as Hebrews says, is the exact representation of God's essence, what that shows us is that Jesus not only shows us what God is like, Jesus reveals what you and I are called to be. He reveals this is what a human life looks like surrendered to God. This is what humanity looks like as God imagines it to be. This is how you bear the image of God perfectly and faithfully. So that's the question we're going to examine today is, what does it mean to be a human being as God intends? What does it mean to faithfully bear God's image? So let's look at Genesis 1. We're going to look at two verses here. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 27. Everybody there? It's on the screen, so I guess you are. Then God said, let us, make note of the plural there, let us, we're going to talk about in a moment, but God speaks within God's self in a plural form. It's the only time we've, we have something like that uh, explicitly in the Bible. Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Notice there's an emphasis here. It's repeating itself. This is evidently very important. Male and female, he created them. Now, what I want to do is I want to help you see this passage as the original recipients of this story would have seen it. I want you to, I want to put this passage in its original context so you can, to some degree, capture the full meaning of what's being said here. One of the things that we know about the ancient world is that other than the Jewish people, all ancient people were polytheists. In other words, they believed and worshipped many gods. 
And the ancient people would craft idols or images of these gods that would physically represent that god. So I have a, an example of an image that I want to show you. This is an image of the ancient Sumerian sky god, Anu. You can even just leave it up there for a minute or two. But this is the sky god in Sumerian, ancient Sumerian culture. Anu is seen as like he's in charge of the stars, you know. So when the ancient Sumerians would see shooting stars across the sky, they would understand that as Anu just throwing stars around. So this is the image of Anu. Now the ancient people made a distinction. They did not believe that the image was the god. They believed that the image was the physical representation of the god. So there was a distinction, but they believed that whenever the artist was carving this image, whether out of wood or stone or whatever, they believed that the spirit of God was working through the artist to craft an accurate depiction of that God, whether uh, what that God actually looked like or some aspect of his, his or her character. I don't know why Anu would want such an ugly image of himself, but that's his problem, not mine. But the ancient people took it even further. Watch this. They believed that the bond between the God and the image was so close and so inseparable that even though the two were distinct, they believed that the spirit of that God inhabited the image so that what you do to the image, you're doing to the God. So if, if you bow down and worship the image, it's considered that you're bowing down and worshiping the God himself or herself. If you're, if you're um, making sacrifices to the image, you're making sacrifices to the God. But conversely, on the flip side, if you're neglecting the image or if you're treating the image haphazardly, flippantly, casually, then that's what you're doing to the God because the God and the image were inseparable. Now you see, that's the context of this passage we just looked at when it says, so God created humankind in his image. God's saying, I don't need an artist to, fasten, to, to fashion an image of me. I'm going to do it myself. And, and that's what he does when he creates human beings, when he creates you and I. You are made and designed to bear the very image of God. In other words, you are God's physical representation on this earth. There's a sense in which we are created to look like God on this earth. And God says, I want to inhabit you. I want to dwell on the inside of you. And see, that brings out a whole new depth to this passage that I hope you're receiving here tonight. You're just staring at me right now, but I hope on the inside, you're just blown away. Now in this Genesis account, there are at least three ways. Before I even get to that, you remember the first two commandments? God says, don't have any other gods. I don't want, to, want you to worship any other God. But he also says, don't, don't carve any images. I don't need you making any idols or images of me. And, and the point is what God is saying is, I've already got an image. And it's you. That's your inherent value, your inherent dignity that I bestowed upon you. So don't go transferring that to wood and stone. You are my representative on the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, in this Genesis account, there are at least three ways that are suggested 
in which you and I as human beings bear the image of God. And, and I want you to perhaps write these down. If you have something to write with, write these down because I'm going to come back to them in a couple times throughout the sermon. But there's three ways that you and I are designed to bear the image of God. Number one, we bear God's image in the fact that we are alive. Not just physical life, but even spiritual life. Human beings uniquely, unlike any other creature on the planet, we have the capacity for spiritual life. And so we represent and bear the image of God by being fully alive. God is a living being. Only a living being can represent the living God. So that's the first thing, number one. The second way that we are called to bear the image of God is by how we have dominion, how we rule. God is supreme over the entire cosmos. He rules everything. But when God creates the earth, we learn in Genesis, he puts humankind in charge. He places us in that position of dominion over the earth. We're called to, to rule the earth and everything on the earth, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, every creeping thing, the plants, animals, everything that that involves, we are God's viceroys, his vice regents. In other words, God ultimately, who, who is ruling, God wants to rule through us. So the way that we rule and have dominion needs to reflect the way that God rules and has dominion. God never exploits us. God never oppresses us. God never uses us like commodities and throws us away. So therefore, uh, human beings, in some way, we, we ought to reflect the priorities in the heart of God in the way that we rule and have dominion, just as God has rulership and dominion and the way that he does that. So that's the second thing. Number one, we model God by how we're alive. We bear God's image, number two, by how we have dominion. And then finally, number three, we bear God's image through our capacity for loving relationships. Our capacity for loving relationships. Unlike any other creature on this planet, we have that distinct capacity to that degree. Now notice that verse in Genesis that I, that I told you, take note of this. God speaks in the plural. Within God's self, God says, let us make humankind in our image. It's a really interesting wording. As Christians, when we look back upon that passage, we look at it with a Christian perspective and what we see is an early inspired reference to the Holy Trinity. God is three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So. What Part of what makes God God, God's identity, God's DNA, is God himself is a relational being. God is a divine community, an eternal, self-giving, loving community of three persons in one. So a huge part of what it means for you and I to bear God's image is that God has taken that us-ness and he's downloaded it into us so that we were created to be relational beings. We were created for loving relationships. So those are the three ways. I hope you have them written down. We're going to come back to it. Those are the three ways that we uniquely bear God's image. Number one, by being alive, physically, spiritually. Number two, by how we have dominion. And number three, our capacity for loving relationships. Is everybody with me? All right. Now watch this. When human beings rebelled, 
when we fell and we messed everything up, that image of God that you and I bear became damaged. It became defaced, disfigured, not destroyed. No, it's still there. It's, it's hardwired into us, but it's become obscured. You know, if you're in your mind, I want you to picture like a, a, a statue that's been caked with mud so that you can't really see it clearly. I mean, the, the image is still there. It's still, it's still present, but the, the mud has obscured it. You can still see the form, you can still see the shape, but all of the definition is, is gone. You don't see it very clearly. And that's exactly what's happened to us. The mud that's, that's caked over us is the mud of our own sin and, our, and, and the oppression of the powers. And so the image of God has become tainted, not destroyed, but it's been damaged. So for example, if we go back to those three things, number one, we bear God's image by being alive. And, and that's still true. We still have that capacity but rarely are we, are we fully alive in a way that reflects the fullness of life that God is. Even just strictly on a physical level, we live our lives and then we die. So we don't, we've lost that image of God in perfect definition. It's still there, but it's been defaced. And then the second way we bear God's image, remember, is, is in, in how we have dominion, how we rule the earth. We still have dominion as human beings. We, we have authority in this, in this world. We, have, we rule. We have ultimate say-so. But we don't always use that say-so in a way that reflects God's heart and God's values. That's why the world's so messed up. Because we don't always carry out God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So, so we still have that capacity, but it's not perfectly fulfilling the image of God. And then the third way, remember, we bear God's image is in our capacity for loving relationships. We still have that capacity, and we still love. But rarely do we love the way God loves. Rarely do we love as passionately and self-sacrificially and unconditionally like God. And so the image of God upon each one of us, to some degree, has become obscured. It's become defaced. It's become damaged. Now, when Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he does two things that I want to highlight here. Number one, just like I said in my first sermon in this series, the first thing Christ does is he reveals to us perfectly who God is. When Christ stretches his arms on the hard wood of the cross, praying, Father, forgive them, responding to the injustice that happens with self-giving love, self-sacrificial love, Christ is showing us this is what the Father is like. Look no further. First John chapter four, verse eight and verse 16. God is love. And John tells us this is, see, love has a definition. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So we are looking at the quintessential revelation of God's character when we're looking at Christ on the cross. This is what God looks like. But when we look upon Christ on the cross, not only do we see a true picture of who God is, when we look at the cross, we're seeing our own value in God's eyes. We gaze upon the beauty of Christ on the cross, and it's God speaking over us saying, this is what I think you're worth. You have immeasurable worth in my eyes. You have unsurpassable value in my eyes. How do I know that? Because Christ was willing to pay an unsurpassable price. So all through our lives, even from the time we were little, 
we have heard and absorbed false messages from the environment around us, from people in our lives, people you trusted perhaps. Maybe you had a grandparent or a parent, some authority figure in your life who downloaded false identities in your mind that you've just turned over in your brain. And you've heard things. Some of you can still remember things that were spoken over you when you were a kid. You're useless, you're worthless, you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? What's wrong with you? I'm ashamed of you. I'm disappointed in you. And every one of those lies that you absorbed is like mud caking that statue that's keeping you from seeing clearly what God sees and what God thinks about you. But when I gaze upon Christ on the cross, and I experience the message of his love on the cross throughout my life as I experience it in worship and in prayer and community. What's happening is God is now speaking clearly. No, this is who you are to me. This is what I think about you. And more and more gradually, that mud of deception gets wiped away. And you realize it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about me. This is what God says about me. I have unsurpassable worth in God's eyes because he paid an unsurpassable price. And I bear his image. And Christ was willing to die for me. That's who I am. That's who I am. And so no matter what's been spoken about you, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're fat, you're lazy, you're, you're smelly. You know, maybe some of that's true, I don't know. But I'm here to tell you on the authority of Jesus Christ, you have unsurpassable worth. You have infinite value. You are loved with an everlasting love. No matter how much you've blown it in your life. And God thinks you're worth dying for. And guess what? God's infinitely wise. He knows the appropriate value of every single thing. So if God thinks you're worth dying for, that means you are worth dying for. So any other thought or feeling that entered your mind that doesn't agree with what God thinks, I need to set that aside. It may not even feel true because I've been thinking the garbage my entire life, but if it doesn't line up with what God says, I, I need to discard it. Don't even give it the dignity of arguing with it. Don't even give it the dignity of being angry about it. Just set it aside and remind yourself of what is true. And what is true is that I have unsurpassable worth because I bear the image of Almighty God and Jesus Christ thinks I'm worth dying for, period. And that's not just true of me and you. It's true of every single person on this planet. And that, that leads me to one last point I want to give you. We're created in the image of God who is perfect love. And so in no way do we more significantly bear the image of God than when we learn, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, when we learn to do everything in love. Remember when I was talking about that idol a moment ago? The ancient people believed what you do to the idol is what you do to the God. There's an inseparable relationship. And that's the context of the passage when it tells us God makes humankind in his image. So when it comes to every single living being on this planet, how you treat that image of God and how you think about the image of God, God takes that personally. And it begins, first of all, with yourself. You were made in God's image. And so how you think about yourself 
and how you treat yourself, God takes that personally. What you do to the image, you do to God. So what that means is, watch this, part of what it means to love God is to learn how to love yourself. We're loving God by loving ourselves. Some people have this idea that to love yourself is somehow in competition with loving God. I, I get so grieved by this theology that's out there that's so prevalent. I call it maggot theology, where people go around just beating themselves up, thinking that they're glorifying God. I'm just a maggot. I'm, I'm worthless. There's nothing good about me. I'm just a low life. You know, I'm just, I'm just scum. I'm just drudge. I have no idea why God loves me, but I'm glad he does. I'm thankful for that, but I have no idea why he does because I'm such a low life. And they think they're glorifying God by thinking that way and talking that way. Knock that off. That's garbage talk. Last I checked, God doesn't make trash. You bear the image of God Almighty who is unfathomably beautiful and wonderful and magnificent. So don't go beating up yourself with this, I'm just a maggot, I'm worthless, I'm no good. You know, maybe some of the things that you do are no good and we gotta get that cleaned up. God will get that cleaned up. But let me show you how this cleaning up process begins. It begins, first of all, by recognizing and learning to appreciate and celebrate the fact that I have been given the dignity of bearing God's image. And Christ died for me. And it expresses God's eternal love towards me. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's where it begins. Seeing a clear picture of God, then seeing a clear picture of ourselves, seeing a clear picture of every person on this planet. So you're supposed to love yourself. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, which implies that there is a sense in which we are to love ourselves. Now, we don't do that in a prideful, self-absorbed, narcissistic kind of way. But it's okay to love yourself. It's not okay not to love yourself. And that applies to everybody else as well, because what you do to the image, you do to God. It applies to all other human beings, for they too are made in God's image. So let's look at this last passage, and, and then we're going to do a little reflection with communion. Matthew 25, 34 and 35, Jesus says, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Why? Because they are in my image. And what you do to the image, you do to me. So think about this. When we learn how to routinely sacrifice of ourselves to provide food for hungry people. From God's perspective, 
you're feeding God. Conversely, when we hoard to ourselves so that we can have much more food than what we need and all the while neglect hungry people around us, you're letting God go hungry because what you do to the image, you do to God. When we sacrifice of ourselves to provide shelter and to provide clothing for people who don't have it, from God's perspective, we are feeding and clothing God. But when we hoard our resources so that we can have way more shelter than what we need, way more and better clothing with what we need, and all the while neglect those who are without shelter and clothing around us, we're letting God go naked and letting God go without shelter. Because what you do to the image, you do to God. And so what I want to leave you with is this. The question becomes, how are we treating God? And I think the best way to reflect on that question is, how are we treating the image of God? Because every person on this planet, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, no matter how they think, no matter how they live, whether you agree with their life or not, whether they're a friend or foe, whether they're blessing you or threatening you, whether this person is on your side on an issue or on the other side of an issue, none of that matters. All of that is irrelevant when it comes to that person's worth as a human being. They bear the image of their creator and they are loved passionately by their creator because he demonstrated it concretely on the cross. And so what we do to the image, we do to God. We, we love God as much as the person whom we love the least. And I think it would be good for us to routinely reflect upon that. So here's what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes all across this room. I just want to do a reflection with you. We're going to have this exercise. Right now, I want you to think of the person whom you love the least. And Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to be honest the reality is God already knows. So let's just be authentic. That's where, that's where health and life starts is being authentic, being transparent. So let's be transparent with God and with ourselves. I want you to pick out one person who comes to your mind that you love the least. It may be, it may be someone you don't even know halfway across the world, some world leader of some sort. It may be a national leader, politician or something. For others, it could be your mother-in-law. It might be your father-in-law. For somebody, it might be yourself. It could be the office worker who's driving you crazy. It could be a person who's still alive or it could be a person who's dead. And you still hold a grudge against them for stuff that was done or said or whatever. Who do you love the least? Get a picture of that person in your mind. Represent them in some way, however, however you envision them. Maybe even right now as you're, as you're imagining that person vividly, it's making your heart race just to even think about them. And that's good. Just let it race. Envision that person, and as you're envisioning them, I want you to apply this truth here. And I want you to hear the Lord say to you, because this is true, hear him say, that person bears my image. 
in what you think about and how you treat that person that you're thinking about right now is what you think about and how you treat me. So hear the Lord say as you're envisioning this person, will you agree with me that that person was worth me dying for? It's okay if you still don't like things about them that are true. That doesn't mean that you have to hang out with them or want to be their friend or anything like that. Some people are untrustworthy and you need to keep a distance. But it doesn't change the fact that they're in the image of God. So hear the Lord say, will you just bless them and pray for them and let go of judgments on them? And if you're, if you're not quite at that place, ask God for the grace to get to that place. God, give me divine grace to see this person as you see them and open my eyes. What you do to the image, you do to God. And that's expressing love. Love, love is ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. Man, it's, it costs you something sometimes to bless that particular person. It costs you some pride. It costs you vengeance that you think that you're owed. And God says, vengeance is mine. So just bless them. Follow Christ. Bless them as one made in God's image. And I encourage you to just do this exercise maybe throughout the week. It's a good one to do. Just envision the person you love the least and bless them. And ask God to empower you to have a little bit of his heart for them and to begin to see what he sees and to love the way that he loves. And now we're gonna share communion together. Would you stand with me and have your communion elements ready to go? As we meditate on the cross, once again, you know, the cross is so many things. You can't explain the meaning of the cross in one sentence, in one paragraph, in one sermon, in one theological volume. You can't even explain the meaning of the cross within an entire lifetime of expression. The cross is so multifaceted. But tonight as we meditate on the cross, as we share communion, the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, we're seeing Christ's sacrifice on the cross as the supreme revelation of God's own character, God's own self. But we're also seeing God's revelation of who we are in his eyes. The value, the dignity, the worth that he gives us and also the kind of life that he invites us to self-sacrificial love for the sake of others. The cross changes how we see God, changes how we see ourselves, and changes how we see every person on this planet. And so Lord, with that in our minds, we're grateful for what you did, that we're a part of what you're doing, and you're taking us somewhere beautiful. 
you're leading us in a cross-shaped life, learning to ascribe worth to every person we meet, including ourselves, because our worth comes from you. Thank you, Lord, for your limitless, infinite love. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.